0: Dane, I'm gonna need to borrow your stool today. I'll uh, make sure I return it so that you don't become the Dane of my existence. Oh, man, really? That would... oh. <laughs> See, the funny thing is, is I knew that was lame before I said it. And I still said it. So I just couldn't I couldn't resist the the whatever, the pun, you know? <laughs> anyway. I've got to tell you something, call it a confession, call it just an acknowledgement of a personality trait, call it a result of my upbringing, but I love bread. I love it. Can't get enough of bread. Amen. That's right. You can ask Katie In the early days of our marriage, I used to complain if we didn't have enough bread at dinner. But you know, some of that was socialization because when I was growing up in my home, we had baskets of bread on the table at every dinner. More bread than you could eat. Although we usually did. (laughs) We had bread. And you know, when I was Ava and Gage's age, there was only really one kind of bread you ate at dinner. You know, now you go to the grocery store, there's all kinds of different rolls and artisan breads and all these things to choose from. When I was their age... There was just rolls. You went to the grocery store and you got the rolls. Because that's all they had. They're still in the store. I know they have a brand name, but we didn't know them by a brand name then. They were just the rolls. They were those yummy, gooey, chewy rolls with the kind of muffin top looking thing with the three little grooves in the top. So you could peel them in the three parts. Oh, I could. Y'all know those rolls, right? And you'd pop them in your mouth. And I don't even eat mine with butter. I got to tell you, I don't like the butter on the rolls. But man, pop them in your mouth, they're oh so good. And we, we would have baskets of those and just chow down on those so much. But my mom cooked so much that by the time we'd stuffed ourselves, we still had like Ziploc bags of rolls left over. So if I needed a snack right before bed, healthy, right? I got a roll. If I needed a snack when I came home from school, I got two rolls. If I needed a pre dinner snack to hold me over, I got three rolls. We loved our rolls. And so I was excited when sooner or later we had sourdough rolls. We had garlic bread. We had all these things coming to the house. It was the wonderful thing. I loved bread. So when we read in John that Jesus is talking about bread and the bread of life and we ate our loaves to the full, that's in my wheelhouse, y'all. <laughs> that's in my willed house. But well, let's put this bread in context. Because the picture John is drawing for us in this passage is one of Exodus, one of the wilderness wandering, one of salvation. You see, the group Jesus is talking to, he saw them on the other side of the sea. And he took the loaves and the fish that we read about and he fed the multitude. One of the signs that Jesus gives in the book of John and he fed them with barley loaves that this boy had the, the bread of the poor people of that time and he blessed it he gave thanks and he broke the bread and they passed it out had them all sit down not just come up and take and eat and run but sit down let's have a meal together we're in community we're in communion and they ate their fill of the loaves and they made the connection here is the prophet here is the messiah And they said, here is the king. We talked about Christ the king last week. And it so wound them up. It so excited them that John tells us they wanted to take him by force and make him king. These 5,000 men, perhaps their women and children were with them as well, were there. So you had a potential militia force that could have attempted to do their bidding that day. Jesus, knowing their desire, withdrew to the mountain to pray. Because, as we discussed last week, Jesus is a different kind of king. So, this is a story of Exodus. This is a story of kingship. This is a story of Jesus overcoming the powers of the world. Whether it's Pharaoh or personal sin or whatever evil may be at work in this world, this is the story of Exodus, of salvation. having walked away from these people wanting to make him king, having saved his disciples on the journey back across the sea from that storm. They're on the other side of the sea. And these people, so eager to make him king, had gone out after him. They knew he wasn't on the boat with the disciples, but something led them to go to the other side of the sea themselves. And when they get there, they're wondering, Jesus, you're here? Perhaps they're not sure how he got there. They're surprised because they know he wasn't in the boat. The last they saw, they went up the mountain. But for some reason, they didn't go up the mountain themselves. And they're surprised to see him. And they want to see a sign. And Jesus says to them, I tell you, you don't believe in me because of signs, but because you had your fill of the loaves. And he's challenging them, but they're pushing even harder. But show us a sign that we'll know for sure that you are who you say you are. And again, we have the Exodus motif the wilderness wandering. Because they've already had a sign, but they want another. The Israelites in the wilderness had already had a sign. The waters parted, they crossed on dry land. And the waters closed back down on the Egyptian army. But in the wilderness, they would complain. In the wilderness, they would grumble. They would demand a sign. So Jesus is calling them to simply believe in Him. Why do you need signs? Why do you need more signs? Simply believe in me. I am the sign. That God is present. That God is at work in this world. That God is overcoming all sin and all destruction in this place. And he's trying to remind these people really of who they're called to be. If they're going to encounter the God of the Israelites, if they're going to encounter the God revealed in Christ, he's taking them on a journey back into the Scriptures. He's pointing them back to Deuteronomy when He says, don't eat just the physical food, but eat the bread of life. The bread that will leave you never again hungry. Because what does Deuteronomy 7 say? It tells us you do not live on bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. He's calling them back into their scriptural tradition. To remember that this is about trusting in God and following. And Deuteronomy 8. Excuse me, that was Deuteronomy 8. But Jesus is also reminding them by saying, Trust in Me and follow Me. Don't give in to this urge to take Me by force and make Me King. To reminding these people of just who they are in Christ. It's not to be the people to force Rome out of Israel. It's not to be the people to force the Pharisees who have generated much of their oppression as well out of the temple and take control of it all themselves and establish Jesus as prophet, priest, and king there in that physical place, in that that geographic place and time. That's not what Jesus was calling them to do when He fed them the loaves. He was calling them to remember in Deuteronomy 7 when Jesus tells the Israelites preparing to enter the promised land, I did not choose you because you were the most numerous people. I did not choose you because there was anything special about you. I chose you because I chose you. Now trust in me and don't just hoard up the blessing of having been chosen for yourself but pour that blessing out. Deuteronomy goes on to explain that the nations will flock to them if they will but follow the law. If they will but obey the covenant God and trust in God. If they will take the thanksgiving that they've experienced through the receipt of the bread, like the Israelites received the manna in the wilderness, and the quail in the evening, and the water that sprung up from the rock when it was struck. If they will take that, And realize that that blessing is to be used to bless. It's not just to scream thanks to the heavens and then keep it to ourselves. It's to take thanksgiving and to turn it into trust giving. Because when we're called to give things away, that question of trust starts to rise in our mind. It starts to to fester In our hearts and in our souls. God, you've given this to me. How can I have security if I give it away? How can I have security if I love my neighbor as myself? How can I have security if I'll walk with you unflinchingly with nothing but trust that you will provide? Where does my security come from in that moment? But this trust giving becomes important for us because if we don't embrace the trust that we should place in the Creator, we run the risk of going from thankful to arrogant. We run the risk of thinking we've arrived. We run the risk of resting on our laurels, which if we're honest about this idea of grace are not our laurels to begin with. These are God's laurels we're resting on. And God isn't calling us to rest. In a Sabbath sense, yes. But God is calling us to get up and go and share that Sabbath rest with the rest of this world. To take the blessing we were given and to give it out to all those we come in contact with. This is what the Israelites would lose sight of. I say it over and over again because it's so important for us to understand When we look at 1 Samuel and the people are demanding a king, God says no. You're not called to be like the other nations. You're called to be different. You're not called to embrace the form of powers and dominance that help you to force your will on others. You're called to trust in God. Follow God and let God do the work. The Israelites forgot that. They took up kings. They took up idolatry. They took up Alliances that entangled them with other nations. They took up all these things. They took up the oppression of the people in their land, of their own neighbors, that comes with idolatry and arrogance and serving the self. And they created suffering. And it led to the downfall, the split, and then the downfall of the nation of Israel and of Judah. That brings us to our Thanksgiving story. The origin of the settlers arriving in the land we now call the United States. That dreadful winter. The friendship struck up with the Native Americans who helped to show them to grow food in this new land and help make them get through the new winter. They were blessed by God and delivered from that harsh winter. But did the settlers over time become like the Israelites? Do we need to be self-reflective about our history? Not denying the things that are good and great about ourselves, our nation, and us as a people. But to simply think, are we trusting God? Or are we trusting it in our own strength? These are questions that we can ask not to condemn everything about our history, our story, this origin that we celebrate in Thanksgiving, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But simply to say, where has our Thanksgiving failed to be trust giving? Where have we failed to take the risk to embrace other peoples? Where have we failed to give the many material blessings that have been showered upon us so that others could be delivered from their suffering, from the harsh winters of their lives, the way Many of our ancestors were. How can we as Christians in America bear witness to this idea of trust in the Creator? To this idea of following God through thick and thin? To the idea that everything we're given, the bread of life that we're given, is meant to be shared. And shared in word and deed. Because likewise today, we as a church, we very well can expect to be blessed. God is a loving God. Jesus was a gracious and is a gracious Redeemer. The Holy Spirit is a powerful presence with us today, shaping us, transforming us, pouring grace into our lives every minute, every second. As we seek God. But will we keep that to ourselves? Or will we pour it out? Will we put a lid on us, the receptacles of God's grace? Or will we throw the lid off and pour it out lavishly on the world around us? Because we may become mistaken. We may think, well, our prayers were answered. Or we've been greatly blessed. It is clear that God is on our side. And bathing things, covering things in prayers of utmost importance. I've heard story and story and story in this congregation and, out and beyond where prayer has brought people through such difficult times. Prayer has turned us to God in such ways that it has brought an incredible increase. But there's always that risk that we become like the Israelites. There's always that risk that we become like the Galilean peasants who when they receive God's blessings... Wanted to make it all their own. They decided God is on our side. So we will go and do what we believe we need to do. They got their fill of the bread. And they forgot the bread of life that we must continually feast on. Which is walking in the way Christ walked. In other words, we get so focused on God being on our side. That at times it becomes hard for us to remember that it's important for us to first be on God's side. And the blessings that are showered upon us to share with others get kept in. Instead of being poured out lavishly. This is the question that we have in Thanksgiving as we celebrate the great many blessings that God has given us. Not only one day a year, not only 30 days on Facebook, but every day of our lives. But knowing that thanks, can't we imagine what it is to take part in God's narrative in this world? Can't we imagine what it is to have others through our witness, through our actions, through our words and sharing the gospel, that they experience the great blessings of God that we have? Can we imagine a world in which the blessings of God are undeniable because a people who were blessed and were filled with the loaves go out with the bread of life. So what does that look like, this trust? Because there is the temptation to go from thanksgiving to takesgiving. Thanksgiving. But instead of going to Thanksgiving, let's go to trustgiving. Where we place our trust in God to go out and share. To share our material blessings. To share the spiritual blessings that have been showered upon us. To share everything we have with the world around us. What does it look like to trust? There's many ways. There's a robust world mission in this church. Placing trust in God. To go out into the world, to foreign lands, and to share the gospel. Because this trust requires us to leave our comfort zones, to give up our power, and lean on God. And it is to give up the idea of dominance. And forcing ourselves onto others. And forcing them to become like us. To embrace community and justice. For God was calling these people who wanted to make Him king, no, we shall not do this. For the bread of life does not come through force. The bread of life comes through love. The bread of life comes through the love of enemies, as Matthew tells us. The bread of life comes through the love of your neighbor, even the Samaritans who were despised who were responsible for much of the violence that took place on the road between Judea and Samaria, even they were to be loved by the followers of Christ. In fact, we know in chapter 4 of John, Jesus sits at the well with the Samaritan woman and gives her what? Not just water, living water. That living water, which we will later learn in chapter 7, is the Spirit. That Spirit that gushes up inside of us. Grace being ever poured into us, gushing up inside of us, renewing our lives by the day so that we can pour out to the world, so that we can bring the blessings of salvation and community and justice and peace and all that goes along with it through God's grace to the rest of this world. Because in... Verse 35, Jesus brings these two chapters together. The Samaritan woman and the feeding of the multitude and the crossing of the sea. When he points out to us that we must eat the bread of life and drink the water that will leave us never hungry nor never thirsty. But we have to trust in order to do that. This Samaritan woman who went out in the hottest part of the day. To escape the derision of her community. She went and she told her friends and neighbors. Now she was obviously outcast. Why, do we know why she had five husbands? We don't. Had she been written a bill of divorce by five men? We don't. Had she been the unfaithful one? We don't know that. John tells us she's living with a man who is not her husband. But depending on what the circumstances are, she may have been acting out of despair and desperateness. But Jesus is calling her to go forward in hope and to realize that the blessings of God can set you free from all despair, from all suffering, from everything that you've projected on yourself that is holding you back from being the best that you can possibly be renewed by Christ. And so we drink the living water. We feast on the bread of life. Which we commemorate every first Sunday like we will next week in communion. drinking, Eating that bread of life that nourishes us. The word of God found in Jesus. Building us up. But yet calling us forth. Because we can't just rest on our laurels. Why? They're not our laurels. They're God. But if we need to understand what this Word of God revealed in Jesus is calling us to be what it is to believe, it'll help if we understand the connection that Jesus is making between His lesson here to the multitudes He fed and to the grumbling Judeans who He'll soon be having the same conversation with. and the book of Isaiah that He'll quote, And has referenced throughout this discourse in John chapter 6. We can look first at Isaiah 55, 1 through 5. This is shortly This is shortly after Isaiah has told us that blessed are those who bring the good news. Isaiah 55, 1 through 5: Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Listen so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. I see I made a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples, See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and the nations that do not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For He has glorified you. So God, through Isaiah, was calling people to come and drink the living water, to eat the living bread. Through Isaiah's prophecy, which Jesus is referencing here. Later in chapter 6 in John, Jesus is going to quote Isaiah 54:13 when he says they will all be taught by God. Saying that we have a responsibility as so many in this church know to have a knowledge of the holy scriptures and the word of God that is speaking to us through the scripture. And through the Spirit, as we encounter that Scripture, understanding that Scripture contains all that is necessary for salvation. He says they will all be taught by God. So we have this direct connection with the latter chapters of Isaiah, which will then go on to speak of welcoming the stranger among you. Which will then go into... Welcoming the eunuch in your land, these folks who were generally treated as outcasts, these folks who were looked down upon, these folks who were seen as cursed. And doing such things, even though it may make us uncomfortable, even though it may make us squeamish at what it may do to outside people's views of us as a body, doing such things is to trust in the God, to drink of the living water, to eat. The bread of life. In chapter 58, 3 and 6, it takes us further. Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble yourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and fight and strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast I choose, a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So we get a further picture of what God through Isaiah and God through Jesus and John is calling us to. If we will feast on the bread of life, we will share that bread of life in word and deed. We will go out and trust, understanding that we may have to give up some of what we hold so dear so that others can have the most precious thing that we've received. The blessing of God. The grace that's forgiven us our sins and renewed our lives and is transforming us by the day. But we must go out. We must be willing to trust. We must be willing to sacrifice and turn thanksgiving not into takesgiving, but into trustgiving. So how do we do that today? Well, I heard a great story of one way that this has been going on here in this body. 350 coats were collected for refugee families. People, I believe, don't come from cold climates. Probably not even real familiar with the coat. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm projecting my own presuppositions that are false on them. But 350 coats were collected for people in need. And imagine how much of a blessing that is for them on this morning. Imagine. The sleets coming in. The colds moving in. The roads might freeze. Heaters have a hard time continuing to work when the temperatures plunge. Consider how blessed they will feel when they receive the coats that were collected for them. But some other proposals. We're working on something, a group of us, the evangelism team, and be reaching out to the local missions team perhaps. I know it's coming together in short order because it's taken a long time to get to this point. But we're working on Black Friday to put together a meal. Probably have it catered just for liability reasons, but put together a meal for workers in a local store. I spoke with the the manager and HR director at Kohl's, same person, but at Kohl's who was more than excited that we were willing to come out and share with the workers at Kohl's on Black Friday. They'll probably be cutting short their Thanksgiving time with their families as they set up the store and get ready for the shoppers to flood into the doors Thursday night and Friday. And if they'll allow us, if we can convince them that we, the only agenda we have is love, we'd like to be there and actually serve the workers when they're on their break so that they can actually sit down and they can relax on what is, if not the hardest day of their year, one of. At a day where we as consumers, running across stores to get the Black Friday deals, mm, we might turn a little ugly. Those TVs only cost 100 bucks once a year. <laughs> Got to get it now. <laughs> so we're going in to try and provide a different kind of witness. We're going in to say, "Look, we're here to serve you." Because we know that while others may not acknowledge it, you're much more than servants. You're our fellow human beings created in the image of God who has as much worth and serves as important role in your job as I do in mine. So we're here to serve you, to love you, to hopefully through our actions bless you. No, they didn't sneeze. But we're going out to do that. There may be another store, I'm having some other conversations where we might have the opportunity if we have enough Enough people willing to take part where we can cover two stores. So we're putting this together simply to offer blessings. I'm not one to go out and shop on Black Friday. If you are, remember, these are your friends. These are those created in the image of God, called to be blessed by us. So if you're running frantic through a store trying to figure out where that TV or computer or cell phone or whatever it may be is. Let's treat everybody with respect. Our fellow consumers and the workers. And remember, too, that many of them are making minimum wage. Many of them are making a choice as to whether they feed their kids or pay their bills. That might be something for us to bear witness to as well. In a different way. And people may have different opinions on how we bear witness to that. But when we read in the prophets about idolatry, when we read about workers being oppressed, and how caring for those workers, caring for the oppressed, being blessed to be a blessing, this is another way that we offer the the bread of life to the world. To say, look, if you're created in the image of God, I don't know that it's right. That you're not paid enough to pay your bills. And I know I'm saying, I'm talking about something that's a complex economic issue. But difficult things usually are complex. Things with hard answers... you know, are hard questions. And I'm not telling you I know the exact route on how to do that, how the, what the best way to bear witness is. I won't claim to know that. But I have my thoughts. But whatever it is you do this holiday, whether it is We buy one another fewer gifts for family so that we can give to World Vision, or we we can buy a sheep, or help contribute to the building of a well, or we give a Kiva loan, a micro loan to some to a third world person so they can start a business, or we give to our benevolence and emergency assistance funds here within so that we can help those in need. Let's think about how we can turn thanksgiving into trust giving. By going to places that may scare us. By going to people that may make us uncomfortable. And by giving of the extravagant blessings that have been lavished on us. So we can share the bread of life with this world. Let's celebrate Thanksgiving. Let's turn to God in trust. Knowing that the bread of life is not just for us but all of our neighbors as well. Amen.